Amen. Let's give Jesus some praise this morning. Hallelujah. You guys can go ahead and take your seats. How's everybody doing in the house of God this morning? Come on, somebody. It's a good morning to be alive. Amen. And I know God's going to move in a mighty way today. Um, this word, man, it's taken me a good little while to put it together. So that's why, you know, we haven't gone, gone in the Ephesians teaching. But we're going to catch up again this morning, and I believe that God is going to move. But I want to thank God this morning for giving me life. I remember, you know, not caring about my life, not appreciating my life. But today I'm, I'm grateful for the understanding of the value of my life. And I'm also grateful to our pastors for continuing to teach us and, and lead the way as, as they feed us the word of God. And also thank my beautiful wife for continuing to uh, be my side-to-side -side partner in this battle. Amen. But this morning, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to go to chapter 4. Ephesians 4, and we're going to read the first three verses, and then we'll take off from there. But in Ephesians 4, beginning at verse number 1, the Word of God reads like this. Therefore, I, a prisoner of serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we just come together at this place, Lord, and we come with our hearts and our minds open, willing for you to speak into us, my God, ready, Lord, to, to grab a hold of what you have for us, my God. And we know, Lord, that there is a unity that not only have you already established, but that we are stewards of maintaining and, and continuing to progress, not only in the home, but through the church, my God. Help us, Lord, to grab a hold of the vision, to understand the commission that you've called us to follow, my God, and that we would all take our place, Lord, in, in building and battling for the sake of our family members, our loved ones, and the lost and the hurting all over the world, my God. Allow me to simply be your mouthpiece right now, my Lord. Let your word be spoken, that it would come through and minister to all all of us today my god we thank you we give you all the honor and glory and in the mighty name of jesus christ we all pray amen and amen the the title of the message this morning is marching in formation marching in formation and it's uh as i was going through this study you know i always try to be a little creative with my titles but it, it reminded me of when i was in boot camp and, and the soldiers had to march in formation uh, because it was a bunch of ragtag knucklehead. Just like if you guys have ever watched them movies about boot camp, they're pretty accurate as far as like the type of guys that come into the boot camp. And everybody's a knucklehead. Some people think they're hard. Some guys are cowards. Some guys are, you know, clean cut, born in suburb uh, America. Some came straight from the hood. But you got all these guys together and you have to make them march together in formation. And that's kind of like the same thing as far as the different, uh, the differentiality when it comes to bringing a unity with the people of God. Because the Word of God is for everybody. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't, it doesn't neglect. It's open for anybody willing to receive and believe in the power of the Word. And in the first few chapters of Ephesians that we've already covered, Paul was giving us the basic principles and disciplines needed to inherit the great wealth of the richness of God. We went over the, the inheritance, right? We talked about the principles and the disciplines that we needed to establish. But we're going to see a shift as we get into the latter part of Ephesians here. We're going to see this next section turn into marching orders. It's going to begin to give us direction. The foundations, the disciplines, and the principles have already been laid down and explained. And now we're going to look at the marching orders, the, the direction, the the uh, commandments that God gives us going forward. Not only do we know the basics, but now it's time to put them into real use. And I love the unity that is emphasized in this passage that we're going to focus on this morning. Have you ever seen a group of siblings and all they do is they, they roast on each other or, or they're, they're clowning on each other or they're fighting, but let somebody else out of that circle try to clown on them or fight them, what happens? They all defend each other. Hey, hey bro, hold up. I used to have a, my, my friend... Him and his brother would like always go at it. I, I, we lived, the, we lived, the, I lived on the second floor. They lived on the third floor. We were in apartments. And I remember one time they were going at it so bad. And I walked in the apartment and there was a pair of scissors thrown in the wall. And, and my friend was like literally like right there next to it. 
I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, man, I can't stand this guy, bro. And then like not even like a week later, somebody else is trying to get crazy with one of them, and they're both backing each other up. So it's like like the brotherly unity in, in like a weird sense, you know, we, we hate each other, we can't stand each other sometimes, we get on each other's nerves, but underneath all of that, there is a love. There, there is a unity. There is a tightness. Now, don't get me wrong, they weren't saved at the time, amen. Um, but let us, let us consider the home. In the home, we get on each other's nerves. We don't always see eye to eye, but we need to keep the unity of Christ always in the middle, always in, in, the, in the foundation of what we're doing here. And, and this morning, we're going to go over four targets that are required to establish a unity in God. We're going to look at four requirements that we need to have when it comes to unity in God. Point number one, there needs to be unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. Who can give me a, a description or a definition of what the word diversity means? Not necessarily. More, more like different. Basically, if there was a, to be a word that could wrap it up, it would be different. Uh, we live in a diverse city. Why? Because there's different races. There's different cultures. Man, it, it's, it's increased so much just since the 90s. You look 20 years ago, you wouldn't see much of a, a third world population in Phoenix. You would barely see anybody. It, it was like, it was like you, were, you were unique if you had a friend that was somewhere from the Middle East. Like, I, I, was, I can't remember the guy's name. We had a friend. We used to call him Apu because of Simpsons. But, but he was from, like, Arabia or somewhere out there. But, like, you could find no one else from the Middle East back in those days. But now, man, they got their own sections of the city. There's areas where you go into, and they don't even speak English. They speak, you know, whatever their dialect of their, of their culture, their motherland is. But diversity is different. It's a difference in culture, different races. But we, we want to talk about a unity when it comes to those different races, those different cultures. See, in the boot camp, there was a period when the marching training comes in. In week six, the week was titled camaraderie. Camaraderie, and that means mutual trust and friendship among people who spend a lot of time together. I believe in the home, we need to strengthen the camaraderie of our home. Your platoon is only as strong as your weakest member. And this, this week... This is the week where, where the men learn to count on their fellow soldiers. You have to be able to count on them. I remember my drill sergeant would tell me, like, man, I'm going to do my best to make a soldier out of you because one day we might be in a foxhole together and I'm going to need you to count on my, uh, uh, I'm going to need to count on you to watch my back. Because if we all know, we only have two set of eyes that look forward, that look one way. We can't see behind us. So you need to know that the soldier beside you is going to be able to be that other set of eyes that will watch the side that you're blind to. But the same thing in the military, man. When you're in the military, we're training for real war. Like I mentioned in the movies earlier, it's, it's fun and it's, it's exciting to, you know, laugh and joke about the, 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 the antics of the boot camp. But in all reality, man, this is for real warfare. It's for real bloodshed. It's for real life and death situations fighting for the freedom of the country, Right. Same thing with the, with the home, though. It's not much different. That's why I love how the military and, and the spiritual war that we fight today are, are so similar. Because life and death are on the line in the home. You do got to watch your brother's back because if they walk out that door, you know, without you fighting for them, without you trying, then, then they're liable to get hit by the enemy, a fatal blow. Bonds are formed and confidence is gained in, in the trust exercises that are implemented. In week seven of the boot camp it's entitled confidence confidence in yourself and your platoon has been growing steadily over the past seven weeks hand grenade training live fire exercises foot marching foot marching and overall physical fitness are tested in the confidence week and foot marching i remember you had to learn a whole lot of a whole lot of positions and 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 uh the drill sergeant or the leader is the one calling the direction. You know, they, they usually stand, attention, you have to stand up straight, forward, march, and then you gotta always lead off on your right foot. The thing about these moves is that everybody has to be in sync. Every, when they say forward, march, there's a pause and then a step. And everybody has to be in that step. You know, 
They would they could say, uh, to the right, march. That means you turn right. To the left, march. That means you got to turn to the left. And, and then platoon, halt. Everybody stops. At ease, then you can, you can rest. But there's calls. There's calls for every move. Every move they make, they have to make in unison, and it has to be in formation. That means that everybody's got to be on the same page. Everybody has to be in unity, whether it's a diverse group, you know, whether it's a, 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 a group of different races, different cultures, you have to come together for the overall cause of what the mission is. And in the scripture that we read, we see a couple of characteristics that are going to be required for us, even though we come from diverse lifestyles, diverse cultures, some of us diverse races. This morning we come together and, and as we apply the word of God to marching together in formation, we're going to see that the characteristics and the unity that we're going to establish is going to be what allows us to march forward. But the first two characteristics that we look at when we read the first text is humbleness and gentleness. We're still in point number one. Humbleness and gentleness. Let's look at these two characteristics. See, we need to set our priorities in our walk with God. God first, our neighbor second, ourself last. That helps us to keep a pure heart when our motives, because when we keep God first, we're automatically humble. We're automatically humbled. Because God is greater than all things. He is a creator. We're, 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 the, we're the creation. And when we look at our neighbor next, that helps us to remain humble because we're trying to help other people out. Removing selfishness. Removing greed. You know, removing jealousy and enviousness. Because why? Because we're willingly helping others out. We're willingly able to, uh, you know, uplift and encourage each other. Not focusing completely on ourselves. And then when we tend to ourselves, lastly, that means that we've already exhausted a lot of our love and a lot of the power that God has given us to already serve Him. So when it comes to us, you know, we don't feel like, like we're, we're doing it all for ourselves. We don't feel like we're, we're selfish people and it keeps us humble. That's why it is important to know your identity in Christ. When we don't, then we spend too much time trying to figure out who we are and we throw our priorities off. When you, when you don't know your identity, you you exhausted you know, you waste time and you feel like everything that you do is effortless. It doesn't matter what anybody says because you already know. When you know your identity in Christ, you know you've been called to love God. You know you've been called to love people. You know that you've been called to keep yourself humble. It, it doesn't become a question. Why am I doing what, I, what I'm doing? Why, why do I even believe in a God that I can't see? Why do I even try to love these guys that don't love me back? No, when you know your identity in Christ... All that goes out the window because you already know why. It doesn't matter what anybody says because you already know. It's important because as your past tries to come up from whichever avenue it may come from, it keeps you focused on God when you know your identity without being distracted in who you're not and looking to who you're becoming. See, when the enemy tries to bring up your past, he's trying to bring up who you're not. He's trying to bring up a person that was an alcoholic. He's trying to bring up a person that was... Uh, a drug addict, a person that was perverted by lust, a person that was beaten by pride, a person that was defeated by anger, that was defeated by depression, loneliness, sadness, whatever it was. When the enemy tries to bring up the past, you have to tell him, nope, that's not who I am. I'm growing into the man that God has created me to be. I can see a glimpse of who this man is. I don't know completely who he is yet, but I'm on my way and daily I'm getting closer to figuring out who this man of God really is. In Romans 12, verse number 3, the Bible says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. That's why we got to be careful when we're boasting or be careful when, when we play too much. You know, because it's not a game when it comes to, to self-exaltation. It wasn't a game when Satan wanted to take the throne of God and, and he himself be worshipped. It wasn't a game when he got cast down from the heavens onto the earth and, and destined for eternal death. We got to be careful. You know, it's fun to joke. You know, I wanted to get on the brother the other day. I heard somebody say, Jesus. And he's like, oh, you call me? I was like, whoa. Yeah, easy with that, bro. That's, that's not a game, man. It's not, it's not a game. Your name isn't that. Nobody calls you that in the home. 
And if you really look at the, the name, it's, it's the Spanish version of it anyway. Jesus, come on, somebody. The next characteristic is meekness. Meekness. We've said it before that meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. In Numbers 12, verse number 3, it says that Moses was the most humble man on earth. But look at what type of impact he made as he led the deliverance of the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians. Jesus operated in meekness. He exemplified gentleness and kindness. But when those hustlers were, were burning the people in the temple of God, a righteous anger developed within them. And, and he drove them out. But it was from a place of love. It was from a place of, man, you better have reverence for the house of God. You know, I don't care who you are, who you think you are. It's not going to go down like this in my father's house. You're either going to get right or get out. Change your attitude or change your address. If you translate the word in Greek, there's a few definitions that it relates to. And we're talking about meekness. It translates to a soothing medicine, a cult that has been broken in. Everybody know what a cult is? It's a young horse. And it also refers to a soft wind. Now, I like this because I, I really didn't pay attention, but a medicine can have a powerful impact, right? Come on, drugs. Come on, somebody. But this is a soothing. It's like a soothing medicine. We've taken medicine before where the taste was nasty. The after effects were brutal. Like, oh, man, bro. You know, especially the, the come down. Come on, somebody. The kick. Brutal. But this says meekness is like a soothing medicine. Not only does it make you feel better, but it's soothing. It's soothing to your body. It's soothing to your mind. It's soothing to the soul. Meekness is something that is so powerful that can yet be soothing. A colt that has been broken in, that is a horse, right? I don't know if you've ever ridden on a horse before, but a horse can be, it can be a gentle, smooth ride. It's a, it's a powerful animal that has a capacity and the magnitude to, to inflict a lot of damage. Anybody that's ever been kicked by a horse or you've seen the videos, man, like the muscles, just looking at the muscles in the leg, I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm good, bro. Mm -mm. Just the muscles, I'm like, man, that's like, that's, that's, that's about the size of the body of a bodybuilder. That's all muscle in, in just one, in one uh, body part. The leg, bang, knocks people back. It can, it can paralyze somebody if, if, if it kicked them in the right place. But it says a coat that has been broken in. In other words, a coat that has been trained. To break a coat, to break a young horse with that power to be obedient and to listen and to follow directions. Meekness. And then lastly, a soft wind. We know that a breeze feels good. Man, when it's blowing just right, it's the right temperature. What do we do when we, when we come across an AC? We could be walking all hot and then you're like, oh, oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, that's good. We just stop because it feels so good. And meekness is the same way. Let, let that heat turn up in that wind, though. Let the, the power of that wind begin to, to become more stronger. And all of a sudden, we don't want it. We're like, oh, man, this is too much. It's, it's, it's blowing me all over the place. But meekness, I want you guys to really grasp what meekness is because God's saying you have the power to do a lot of damage. You have the power to do a lot of wrong. But when you allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of you with meekness, you're able to become powerful. You're able to remain a strong person, but be gentle, but to be humble and, and to have that power under control that my Holy Spirit will give you. We know that we can do a lot of damage. And that's why it's important to know your identity. Because when the devil tr tries to come and remind you of a person that you were, what happens? We want to prove. No, I'm still hard. I'm still about it. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not a punk. And then, and then we throw meekness out the window. Amen. Meekness helps you keep it under control. We know that medicine, pharmaceuticals, or drugs can be pretty powerful. Wind can be gentle and soothing. It can also clear out a structure built on a land to demolish anything standing in its path. But when it has control, it can become very effective. Another characteristic we looked at in the beginning was long-suffering. The ability to endure discomfort without resisting. If you get a tattoo, if you have a tattoo today, you probably exercise long-suffering. The whole time you're getting your tattoo, what are you doing? Like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. All right, bro, hurry up. You endured. You had long suffering, right? You didn't want to seem like a punk. No, no, it's good, bro. It doesn't hurt. Oh, trying to act all hard. I remember I used to have this friend, little guy, man, and he wanted all these tattoos, but he'd always get like slammed drunk. I'm like, okay, bro. So like, 
what's the point of even getting the tattoo if you're not even going to, like, I don't know. It was just funny to me. I'm like, you know, you, you want to act all hard. You're getting the tattoo because you say you're hard, but you can't even endure the pain of getting the tattoo. Like, it's weird to me. But to keep the unity in the home is a never-ending job. Relationships require work. Can somebody say amen? amen? It requires work to remain patient. It requires work to deal with your brother's mood swings. It requires work to deal with your brother's flaws. It's a daily work. Man, this brother, he be going through it. Man, this brother's defeated every other day. This brother needs encouragement every 10 minutes. Man, it requires work. It requires work, man. You're going to put some work in, in the home to keep the unity with each other and, and just to have a tolerance. Oh, man, I got to tolerate this brother today. Why can't Brother Steve just move him to the other room? Why does he got to be my bunkie, right? Trying to work on 15 to 17 relationships can become a pretty intense job. Marriage. Marriage requires work. You know, me and my wife don't always see eye to eye. You guys get to see the, you know, the majority of the outside. But man, we be going through some, some conflicts. Because we have to make sure that, that under all the attacks that we get already just from the devil, that we're spending enough time with each other, that we're spending enough time with the children, that we're investing enough time in you guys. You want to talk about balancing, man. Sometimes you guys are like, man, Brother Z, can we bring another brother in the home? I'm like, hold on, brother. I'm already overdosing right now, man. You guys are trying to... Throw this work on me right now. You, you jump in and help me disciple some of these men. You start helping me help these guys get closer to God. It seems just like when you think you got some kind of control over it, the devil comes in with a new attack method. Not the same attacks that we've already overcome. Not the same attack methods that, that you know, we have victory in. No, they're new. That means when it's a new punch and you don't know how to block it, you're going to get hit. When you get hit, it's going to hurt. And then you got to keep on fighting, though. You got to keep on fighting. Another, another characteristic that was mentioned was peace. We need to have peace with God before we have peace with each other. This is a big one. If you don't have peace with God, you're not, I repeat, you're not going to have peace with each other, more or less yourself. War reflects on the outside what's taking place on the inside. The only remedy is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. When we have peace with God, the external conflicts aren't, as as vital they they don't have such an influence upon us we could be at peace with god and you could be standing in the middle of the battlefield and, and you're just calm you're like okay yeah all hell's breaking loose right now but we're good but when you got war going on on the inside and then you you uh, apply that with the war going on on the outside oh man it's, it's only a matter of time before an outburst explodes or before uh, a conflict arises. That's, that's why we see so many heads bumping. Because there's not enough peace with God within ourselves. When we ourselves are at peace with God, we are less uh, accessible to get involved with the conflict with somebody else. We need to have more peace with God within ourselves. We've all been given grace and we've all been given gifts from God. And Paul knew... Just as much as, as there was individuality, that even today we still need to establish a unity with each other. That even today we still have to have a unity with all that differentiality. So how do we get all these people to come together and do something great for God? Look guys, it's great to want to start working and all that, but we're really looking for people that, that want to get involved full time and, and, and get involved in ministry. Like, man, I'm ready to get involved with whatever you guys need. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do all the work that I'm doing for God. It's cool to get a job, but don't let that become like all of a sudden you want to become a career man in the home. All right, cool, man. Thank you guys for that 12 months of sobriety. And now I'm ready to become a manager for the rest of my life at Walmart. Okay, bro. God's called you for a little bit more greater than that. God, God has saved you. He has delivered you. He pulled you out of the hands of darkness to do more than just become a supervisor. Again, there's nothing wrong with doing that stuff, man. But what, what, what's your main goal? What, what's your, your main focus out of all of that? Are, are you here to serve God? If, if you lost that job the next day, you know, would you still have the, heart, the same heart for God? Would you still have the same faith in God? Or, or did all that faith shift from God to the job? Because unfortunately, that's what happens. See, we need to be a man that, that aren't army reserve. You guys know what the reserve is? What's, what's the reserve? They wait. They they. they I think they, uh, I don't know if it's still the same now, but I remember when I was in in 2000, I believe they just had to like show up one time or, or maybe one week to report for 
a minimal duty. They were the reserve. They showed up for a little bit of time of duty, and then they just did whatever they wanted to. Every month, they'd have to report one time. And unfortunately, spiritually, guys that end up going forward from the home, they become reserves, eventually becoming existent or uh, disappearing. The job, the money, the plans can wait. We need to have men that, that want to fulfill the calling of God first. God, what is it that you want me to do? Lord, if you provide this job, it's so that I can bring glory and honor to you. It's so that I can obtain the finances that I need so that your will will be done upon my life, God. I, I want to go to the UTC. I want to go to the MTC. I want to get enrolled in Veti. I want to go to this crusade. I want to go do that for God. And, and Lord, if, if you want to provide the means then I'll, I'll do what I need to do to obtain the means. And as soon as I've obtained the means, then it's time to, to get back into the fight. It's time to get back into the, the full time. I want to seek the kingdom of God first. Sign me up for the UTC. I want to get ready for MTC. Man, the home was a blessing and I want to stick around as a staff or I even want to become a director myself. How do I depend? How do I open up a D home? How do I start up a life group? Do we have that mentality? Is that, is that something that the guys are looking forward to? We need to shift that. That needs to be the shift. Everybody's so concerned with all the worldly, all the worldly plans that we don't have no guys in the home that have asked me, hey, Brother Steve, how do I start a life group? Well, what's this D home all about, man? You know, I'm so grateful for what God did to me. I want to turn around and return the favor to other men. I want to turn around and help other guys get their life together too. I'm willing to open up a D home. I'm willing to, you know, get an apartment with a few guys that graduated along with me. And, and we'll keep on doing what you taught us to do. So that we can open up beds, so that we can give more room to guys. And guess what? We'll even come in and preach. We'll even come in and spend time. We'll take them from time to time with us, and they can come spend time at our home. But we're catching it. I want, I want to instill in you guys the vision of our ministry. I'm not trying to kick nobody out and send anybody out there friendless and, 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 and liable to die. But we're trying to raise up men, man, that they're going to catch this vision that know that they weren't just saved to fulfill the, the desires of the world, but to fulfill the desires of God. This is more than just us. Who's ready to take their position? Paul referred to the church as a temple, as a bride, as a mystery, as a body, as an army. We are soldiers this morning. Come on, I know I didn't stick out in the army. I was, I was, it was always my desire to, to, to complete the military. Like I messed up. And that, that really had a pivotal point in my life when I got kicked out of the army. I, I was pretty much like, man, I don't know what else I'm going to do now. I don't know what, what my life has left because really that was my last chance at becoming anything successful. When I got kicked out of the army, man, I, just, I was like just on a mission going downward. Just going to drink till I die. I'm just going to use drugs till I die. I'm just going to wither away, man, because there goes my dreams. I messed them up. But now it's like, and, and it was crazy because I always wanted to be a drill sergeant. I remember going through the boot camp and I, I, it was something about the way that the drill sergeants carried themselves. The way that they were on point, man, you wanted to see what an example of a soldier was and look at a drill sergeant. They, they knew all the creeds. They knew all the, all the values. They knew all the principles. They lived them. They lived them. They were top, you know, they were built because they knew they had to work with a bunch of knuckleheads. And at any time, any one of those knuckleheads could take flight on them. I just, I just, I admired them. And I was like, man, I want to be a drill sergeant one day. And, and it's crazy though, because like, not only did I get kicked out of the army, not only did I not get to become a drill sergeant, but now I'm in God's army. Hello. Now, now, not only am I a drill sergeant, but I'm a teacher. I'm, a, I'm in a sense a father. I'm a, I'm a big brother. I'm a shepherd. And I get to feed and lead a group of sheep that, that needed the power of Jesus to help them get set free in their lives. And I want to see you guys become greater. I want to see you guys fulfill the calling of God upon your life. See, I'm not saying that, that you've got to throw away your dreams. I'm saying that you've got to give them to God and ask Him to show you the way. I had dreams. I, I broke my dreams. I lost my dreams, but I put them in God's hands. And I said, look, God, there were a lot of desires that I wanted to fulfill in my life. There were a lot of hopes that I wanted to see come to pass. He said, give those dreams to me. Look what you're doing today. Look at how full your heart is. Look at how grateful you are. Look at the satisfaction that comes from doing what you do when it comes to doing it for me. Not to discredit anybody who is in the, in, the, in the army right now, man. But man, I love, I'd rather be a soldier for the army of God any day over the army of America. I'm more fulfilled raising up soldiers in this army than I would be if I was a drill sergeant raising up soldiers for the U.S. military. Look, if you want that, that good, if you want that fire, you want that flame, you want that, that good stuff, then you've got to get with God. Only God's going to give you the best. The world offers us that bunk. It's never enough. 
I used to hate getting that boo-boo stuff. Man, bro, get out of here with that. Let me keep it, though. If this is all we got for right now, then I guess we'll use it, bro. We better come back with that bang. But when you got it already, man, God's like, I got you. I'm going to give you the best. I've, I've got what the world can't even compare to. In God, you get what you want and then some. I'm not in the business of building God's army and using people. I'm in the business of building God's kingdom and building people at the same time. I'm not here to just say, look at me. I've got this many graduates. Look at me. This many guys have completed my home. No, I want to be able to say, man, look at this brother right here. Not only did I raise him, was I used to raise him up to be sober, but now he's doing the same thing. Look at this brother right here. He knows his position and he's building in the kingdom of God. Look at this brother right here. He's still in the ministry this many years later, and he's even doing more for God. He's returning the favor of what God gave to him. There's more fulfillment in that than being a supervisor, than being a manager, than being a drill sergeant of a platoon in the army. I'm willing to confront people and call out what needs to be dealt with in them today. If the world, it would have its urgency on a priority. If, if, if the attitude begins to affect the company, then, then people will get involved. That's the mentality of people of the world. You can, you can do all that stuff out there, but you're not going to find true satisfaction. And eventually, you're going to either fall out of that and, and find yourself back to where God saved you from making yourself a whole waste of time in a huge revolving circle that you could have avoided or bad to stick where, where God has you listen for his voice listen for his plan ask for his will to be done that's why that prayer it emphasized that let your will be done let your kingdom come right and then it say all right God if if I'm in the mood then your will can be done if if my kingdom doesn't seem better enough, then, then your kingdom can come. No, God's already telling you, you're not going to find a better kingdom. There is no other better kingdom to build, and there is no other will to be fulfilled. It's not enough. The world wants you to listen with your ears. God wants you to listen with your heart. When you listen with your heart, you ask the right questions. You learn from each other's strengths. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, the Bible said, this is continuing where we, where we read earlier. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. The second point this morning is unity in one. Unity in one. Let's break each of these down. One body. We are one body, one army, one church, one home, one temple. And I have to share what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth to get the parallel meaning of the body. You can write these verses down, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we all have baptized, been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least are important, are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable that are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, 
those who give the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who give the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. You should earnestly desire the help, I'm sorry, the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you the way of life that is best of all. The body. We're all different. Yet we all need each other. Some of us might not have the best position from what we think that the world agrees with. But God says that sometimes those are the ones that are the most strongest. But we have to understand that we are one body. You've been called to fulfill your part, to take your position, and, and to do the most that you can for God. One spirit. We all operate under the Holy Spirit of God. This one is self-explanatory. It's one Holy Spirit. And you got to be careful because we talked in the previous message about spirits. There's many spirits of the world and they're all rooted to Satan. If you're not operating by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, then, then you're in danger of allowing an unwelcome host into your temple that would lead you to destruction, to deceit, to defeat. It said that there was one hope of the future. What is our hope? That one day Jesus Christ will come back and that he will collect his church. And not only that he would collect his church, but that we would be a part of that collection. Come on now. That we would be included in the church. That when God comes back, that we're ready. That when God comes back, that we're serving. That when God comes back, we're going to have to say, wait, hold on, Jesus. Let me get ready real quick. I didn't know you were going to come right now. Let, let, wait, let me, let me ask for forgiveness of all of my sins. Wait, let me put my armor back on because I had took it off temporarily. No, when God comes back, that man, we're doing the work of God. That's why it is important that we remember what is the hope of the future. The hope of the future isn't to fulfill the desires of the world. The hope of the future isn't to fulfill the desires of our flesh. Do we see how those things can easily deceive us and distract us, derailing us from the calling of God? It says that there is one Lord. We all know the Lord, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings. We proclaim His name through our life. We determine by the way that we live how we proclaim Jesus. Because the words can say a lot. Oh, you're the most high God. You're, you're, you're everything to me. But our body is speaking a whole different language. Our, our actions are saying a, a completely opposite thing. In John 14, 6, the Bible says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father. I'm sorry, no one can come to the Father except through me. There's no other way but one Lord. Only through Jesus Christ can we obtain access through the Father. You can't go around Jesus and think you're going to have access to the Father. One God. And then it said one faith. In 2 Timothy 2.2, the Bible reads, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. See, the enemy tries to bring confusion and division into the body of Christ. You must know the truth for yourself. You must believe in the word of God for yourself. Your faith needs to be strong. That's why the Lord would always get on the disciples. Man, your, your faith is so little. Your faith is so weak. All it takes is a little storm to distract you from me. All it took was a little wave, a little wind to, to take you to take your eyes off of me. You were doing so good. You were walking with, with power, with miraculous strength and the supernatural. And now you're drowning because you took your eyes off of me because your faith wasn't strong enough. We, we, don't, we don't all have the same views on each subject or topic, but we must do our best to keep the truth in God as he reveals it to us. That it can be passed on to future generations. I've got to do the most. The way that I study. I study like man I've got to be able to pass this on to my son. I, I, I read the word of God and I apply the word of God so much. That like man i got to pass this on to my daughter. Because I didn't have nobody pass it on to me. And I know the mess. I know the destruction. The life of chaos and mayhem. That I had to experience. God's giving me such a gift to be able to pass on. Not only just to you guys man. But to future generations. That's why... It's such a blessing to see the kids, the kids getting involved, the kids worshiping. You know, yesterday we had two young girls just singing for God, that these two young girls could easily be out there and caught up on social media and, and giving themselves to guys who don't really love them and, and throwing their lives away. 
but they're in the house of God and they're worshiping him with the body, with, their, with the gift that God had given them. That's our future generation right there. That's the legacies that are coming after us. But are we doing enough that we are teachers? Are we doing enough that our faith is strong enough? Hey, I made it. Hey, I, I was able to overcome. Hey, God allowed me to be victorious and it was only because of my faith in him. And let me share my faith with you. It said there was one baptism. When we are converted, we become baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism that we're talking about. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus and, and you make that prayer, God, I accept you as my Savior, you automatically become baptized with the Holy Spirit. We, we also acknowledge water baptisms in our church. But nowhere does the Bible ever say that you are required to be baptized by water in order to make it to, to the kingdom of heaven. Does everybody understand that? You don't need to be water baptized to make it to heaven. But you do receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you accept Jesus Christ in your life. There's nothing wrong with being water baptized. I've been water baptized. It's a proclamation that you make. I'll water baptize you right now in the lake at the park if you want to. It's basically saying that the old man has died and the new man has arised. That's what water baptism represents. Holy Spirit baptism, man. That's, that's the, the Lord coming into you. That's you inviting God into your life and saying, Lord, I'm going to allow you to change me. I'm going to allow you to transform me, to convict me, to guide me and lead me in this life. One God and one Father. We are all children of God. One God, one Father. And we must be careful not to fall to false doctrines or made-up beliefs because there's so many of them out there. We fight to preserve the unity of God. We must be a reflection of God's love to all people let's look at our next point continuing in our text Ephesians 4 7 through 11 the Bible continues to read however he has given each of us one special gift through the generosity of Christ that is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people notice that it says he ascended this clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than the, all the heavens. So that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Point number three, one team, many talents. One team, many talents. You know, I, used, I, I love, I think, and I'm not, not knocking any other sport, but I think basketball has some of the most talented players, man. Because everybody's on the court and they all got to do what they got to do, man, to bring that ball to the other basket. Don't get me wrong, football, I love football too, but you can't be like an all-star uh, offensive lineman. You know, you're not like an all-star right guard. Rarely do we see those guys' names. Oh, man, this guy was such a, an awesome lineman, man. He protected that quarterback. I think there's a couple that have been, you know, acknowledged. But like basketball, man, you could be, you could be a guard. You could be a forward. You could be, you know, of course, the, the point guard. But, man, you, you're an all-star because you're right there on the court and you got to do what you got to do. You know, I can remember the names of, of powerful men that weren't the all-time scorer. Dennis Rodman, you know, he was, man, he was a beast rebounder. Uh, a lot of men that, that would, they would just rebound. There were defenders. Hakeem Olajuwon. He wasn't a high-scoring player, but man, you try to go up against Hakeem, he about to smack that ball out the basket and not count it as a, a what is it when it's not, not, a, not a block? Goaltending, right? No, it wasn't straight up. Now you got, you got smacked, bro. He swatted you. But these guys, they had talents, and they came together as one team so that the, the team name would be magnified. And God also gave each of us a spiritual gift some of us are born with talents. Some of us are, are musically inclined. We're, we're, we're blessed with sports. Or some of us are artistic. Some men know how to use tools. We, we're, we're, we're uh, you know, well with electronics and so forth. Those are natural abilities. But what we're emphasizing right now is the spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 12, we get a good explanation of spiritual gifts. In verse 1 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians reads, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, 
I don't want you to misunderstand this. I know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are many kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of all of them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does all the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of a special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else. The one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from God, the Spirit of God, or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. These are all parallel. You notice how like we're in Ephesians, but we're jumping back to Corinthians and, and it's like, man, even the word is just, it's just such in unison. It's such in unity. The difference usually relies on the glorification as far as the gifts and the talents go. As we grow up from children to adults, we find our natural abilities. Some of us could run really fast. Some of us could hold our breath. Right when you're a kid, you have stupid talents. I, I can put the most gumballs in my mouth. You know, I, I, could, I could count the fastest. Some people can add. Some people are like mathematicians. You know, uh, what was that? I don't know if it was Bobby Fischer. One of the movies, man, where it was like a youth that he just was a math whiz as a kid. Chess, I think that might have been the chess movie. And then you got to play the game of chess, strategizing and, and, and already predicting the next move. Some people have these talents, but what we're talking about is greater than all of that. The spiritual giftings that God has given us. And again, when you are reborn, you are as an infant, you are as a newborn child in the Lord. But God wants to mature you and raise you up with the new gifts that he has given you. Warren Wiersbe said that the gifts God has given us are not toys to play with, but tools to build with. I like that. Because sometimes we do take these giftings for granted and we want to play with them. But God said, these aren't just toys to play with. These are, these are tools that I've given you to build with. That's why we, we are united as an assembly, as a body, and not isolated because we can't do the work of God on our own. A lot of people out there, when you evangelize, they're going to come across them and you're going to say, hey, we want to invite you to our church. And they're going to say, I don't need to go to the church. I can worship God right here in my house. I don't need to be at an assembly of people. I'm doing the work of God right here. Nope. The Bible says otherwise. The Bible says that you must be part of the body, that the body can't operate with one body part. The Bible even said, how awkward would it look, a body made up of one part? No, you got to come to the church. It's biblical. You've got to be not only a, a part of the church, but a member of the church. Not only to be a member of the church, but you must serve in the church. You must build in the church. It is biblical. Let's look at some of these positions at the end of Ephesians 4 that we read. Apostle. Apostle is one who was sent by commission. This is back in Ephesians 4. 7 through 11. I think it was in verse 10 through 11 where he mentions these. A disciple is a follower and a learner. We're all disciples here this morning. I'm a disciple myself. We are followers and we are learners in the word of God unto Christ. An apostle was one that was divinely commissioned. That means that, that God picked and chose them. We know the 12 disciples who became apostles, except for Judas, but then he was replaced. So it's still 12 apostles. These 12 apostles, out of how many followers did Jesus have? It says that there was a multitudes, that when Jesus walked, that there was a crowd. But God chose 12 out of that crowd. He said, you 12 are going to be my apostles. We're all, we're all followers in the body of Christ, but God's going to pick you. Yeah, you're going to stand out. Oh, you're going to do something great. You're, you're going to do something else for me. Everybody else is going to do this, but you specifically are going to be a builder. 
See, one thing about an apostle is that they had had to be a witness of the resurrection of Christ. That means that they had to see the resurrection. They had to be a witness of not only Christ at the time when he had died, but they had to see Christ before he ascended back into the heavens. Remember when, when Jesus was, was resurrected, he remained on the earth for I believe it was 40 days before he went back to the throne, before he ascended into the heaven and gave the disciples the, the great commission. The apostles, they also helped pioneer the early church. They were builders of the early church. No one today can call themselves an apostle because of these New Testament requirements. But there are men who have the apostolic mission to build. Pastor Sonny has been compared to as an apostle. Some people want to call him an apostle. But again, as, as far as the New Testament requirements goes, he didn't, he didn't witness Christ as Christ rose. A lot of people self-proclaim themselves to be an apostle, which is dangerous. Like, all right, brother, be careful with that title, bro. Just, just stay a believer. Just stay a follower. Pastor, if you want. But apostle is a heavy word that we don't, we don't play with. Prophet was another mention. Those who proclaim God's word. Not necessarily somebody that saw into the future or somebody that could interpret dreams. A prophet is simply one who proclaimed God's word. And let me explain why. They had an understanding of the mysteries of God. These were men who today we would call scholars who would have a PhD in the word of God. Why? Because they knew it. They knew it front to back. They could break down. They knew the explanations. They were probably familiar with the concordances, the Greek and the Hebrew understandings of the word. These were men that were wise when it came to the... You could ask them, hey, what does this scripture mean? And they could tell you without even looking in the Bible. That's how wise a prophet was. You can go to a prophet and ask him to explain something in the Bible and they would be able to explain it right there on the spot with the power of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of them was to exalt God, to uplift others, and to bring comfort of the fulfillment of the promises of God. People still have the gift of prophecy today. They are not needed, like, because our church doesn't have a, a prophet, doesn't mean that we can't keep going forward. It's a blessing when they come in. We've had prophetic words spoken and given in our church, but it is not needed. The reason that they were needed in those days was because they didn't have written documentation of the scriptures so the prophets were a living vessel that would minister and be able to to speak proclaiming the word of god today we're blessed because we have everybody could have a hard copy everybody could could have a copy of the word of god right before them whether it's hard copy or, or electronically but in those days they didn't have that and then evangelists evangelists were the bearers of good news they would travel from different nations, countries, and cities, and they would win the, the lost souls of the world. And today we are required to be evangelical. In 2 Timothy 4 or 5, the Bible reads, But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. We are called to reach the lost and the hurting in our ministry, and that is basically what an evangelist is. That's why we evangelize. Hello. You don't need to be an evangelist to join the evangelism team. You don't need to have the title of an evangelist to go out there and let people know that God is real and that He loves them. But there are evangelists today that have an anointing to reach the multitudes. You look at Nicky Cruz. He's an evangelist who has been anointed so that when he goes up there and speaks to the crowds, that hundreds and thousands of people open their hearts and accept the Lord. Can you imagine doing that? We go out there, we get happy if we reach like two. Man, we had like two people except the Lord today. Woo! And nothing wrong with that, man. That's good. But God has anointed certain people to be able to reach the multitudes at a time. Where they can say, man, I reached 2,000. Today, 2,000 people turned in, you know, uh, what do you call them? Comment cards or whatever those cards are. Connect cards that they've accepted the Lord. And then pastors and teachers. A pastor is a, a shepherd that indicates that they are entrusted with the flock. It is the responsibility of a pastor to teach and lead the flock. The Word of God is the primary source of the needed nourishment for the growth of the flock. But we know that pastors and teachers are necessary today. It is necessary to have the pastor of a church, to have the pastor of a flock, to have teachers that teach the Word of God. That's why we have leadership. All right, the last point this morning, guys, we're almost done. Just give me like five more minutes. Ephesians 4, 12 through 16 as we finish the first half of this chapter, their responsibility 
is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Point number four this morning is church growth. And there's two types of growth here. The growth of the church numerically and the growth of the individuals spiritually. We believe in equipping the saints. Equipping the saints. That means giving you the equipment needed. When I was in the army, one of my favorite days was supply day. Whenever you hit a new station, they would give you an itinerary list. You would go to the supply station, which was like a, a huge military Walmart. And, and you got to go to every place and just pick up your stuff. All right, what kind of pants do you need? I need this size. What kind of shirt do you need? I need this size. What kind of socks? You know, what kind of underwear? What kind of, uh, um, they would call it moleskin, but it was like what thermos would do. You would get all your, your equipment for when you hit the field. You would get a new rucksack. You would get new shovels. You would get new tools. And you would leave that place, man, with like three big old bags. Like, who? Oh. You were equipped. What were you equipped for? For the mission, for the task, for the assignments. You were ready. Now you couldn't say that you didn't have the tools that you needed. Now you couldn't say, well, I didn't have the right gear. I didn't have the right size. No, they made sure that when you left the supplies, you, you had everything you needed. Now it was up to you. In the church, we equip the saints. This morning I'm equipping you so that you know what it means to march forward in formation with God. You can't say after you leave this morning, well, I didn't know. Well, I didn't know that we were one body. I didn't know that we had to be in unity. I didn't know that we had to have these characteristics. I didn't know that there were these different giftings and positions. No, you were equipped. Now it's up to you to decide what you're going to do with it. We are to teach each other. We need to build upon the foundation of God's true living word. There are too many false beliefs and doctrines out there to fall into. We must know the word and not be seduced by all the artificial literatures that are available out there because there's so much poison out there. There's so much, you know, fake teachings and, and fake beliefs. We need to couple the word of God with love. The Bible says to do it with love. Hi, man. Did you give a definition for saint? For what? A saint is a believer in Christ or a believer in God. So not necessarily like a santo, like the Catholics believe, but a saint. Basically, if you are a believer and a follower of God, a person who seeks to be holy. When you couple the word of God with love, we find Proverbs 27, 6, and it says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. What is that saying? It says that, that man, you might not like the truth when it's spoken to you. You might not like the person as they're, as they're telling you like it is. But the Bible says, man, that the wounds from a sincere friend are better than the kisses from an enemy. That's why a lot of people don't come to church, because they don't like what they hear. Because the Word of God challenges you to change your life. The Word of God tells you what the truth is, and it reveals the lies of the enemy. Where people would honestly rather just, man, I'd rather just be kissed by an enemy. I'd rather my enemy just kiss me so I feel better about myself, so that I'm accepting of, of the, the flawful person that I am. When, man, God's saying, you need to change. No, you need to stop doing that. You need to turn away from this. And this is the path that you need to follow. If we use the word without love, it is brutality and hypocrisy. Because somebody could chop the people. With, I, I can sit here and chop you guys all day with the word. But is it coming from a place of love? Do I really love you guys? And I want you guys to remain in God's will and remain under God's covering and favor so that you would endure until the day that he returns. Or am I just wanting to get an emotional uh, reaction out of you? Oh, I'm going to hit him with this word. Oh, I'm going to cut him with this word. That's why I hate when people say that. I'm going to cut him with the word, brother. You ain't, you ain't the guy to cut. The Holy Spirit cuts. The word of God itself cuts. You, you, you need to let the word cut you. Cut that pride out of you. Hypocrisy. You're fake. If you use the word of God without love, the Bible says you're fake. That's it. Truth unites, but lies divide. Our mission statement claims that we are to work cooperatively with others of mutual tasks. That means, man, we can work with other ministries. 
We're, we're down to roll with the assemblies of God. We, we, man, we can click up with the Calvary Chapel. You know, we're down to get down with fire and water and all these other churches that are out there. It doesn't say that we can't work together as a team. No, we can work together as a team, but we need to make sure that we establish that cooperation in-house first. Can, can we work with each other as a team first, right? Cooperation is a, is a, a unity. That means that you're working together. You're working together, amen? I have a lot more, man. I'm going to stop it right there, though, because I think we're already like an hour in. I should have just focused down into two teachings. That's why it took me so long.